Well, thank you, Matt, and uh, good morning to you all. A little bit about me. Um, I know quite a few of you have been coming here for, I don't know, a year or so. I am, a, I was about to say, a former Presbyterian minister. I'm still a Presbyterian minister. I'm just not working in a Presbyterian church. But I've also worked for the vineyard um, in America, the desert vineyard. One of the things we discovered when we met Matt and Jacinda was that they had a relationship with the desert vineyard in California. And we were on staff there quite a few years ago. Married to Kathy for 42 years. She deserves a medal or several. We have three grown-up children and eight grandchildren, ranging from 14 down to two, and they um, certainly bring us a lot of joy. This morning I want to, in this message, really bring two threads together, look at two questions, and then tell a story. Um, and the questions are this, what is the heart of God? Question one, what really seems to be at the heart of God? And that's a huge question, and we could take a month of Sundays to begin to answer that. So we'll touch on that. But the second one is, where do I fit in all of this? In the kingdom, what's my part? How do I fit? I want to begin with a passage, Isaiah 58. I love this chapter, and I challenge you to read the whole chapter. It's challenging, but it's wonderful. Now, I want to read to you from verses 6 to 8. The, just before I do, the people have been saying to God, we fast, we, we go to church, we do all the right things, you know, this is great. And God's reply is, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Wow. Now I want to jump forward a few hundred years and hear what Jesus said about this. In Matthew 25, these are Jesus' own words. Not long before his ascension, he's talking to his followers. And this is one of the most challenging passages. And yet it's so simple. Let me read it to you from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And the bit I'm not reading from that passage is what lends it some of the power and why we need to pay attention. Jesus hardly ever spoke about judgment, except in this passage. Because he goes on and talks about what happens if you don't look after the poor and the hungry. And he talks about eternal punishment. Of all the things that we think are the terrible things, the only one that Jesus focused on was, do you share what you have with those who have less? Wow. And that challenges me. So God's heart, I believe, is for the poor, the hungry, and the broken. And it's in all kinds of ways. And often preachers will talk about all the different ways we are poor, and I agree with all of that. But it's simple too. It is poor in wealth. It's poverty. You've probably heard that 10% of The people in the world control 85% of the wealth. Did you know that New Zealand has just been ranked the fifth wealthiest country in the world? Just happened. I read it a few days ago. Uh, Only ones ahead of us, I think it was Sweden, Hong Kong, the US and Australia. And that's on a wealth per adult basis. Fifth in the world. We are in that top 10%. Way up in it. And we don't really think about that. I want to paint you a picture. Imagine you're having a a party. Let's say it's your wedding anniversary. All those who are not married, imagine it's your parents' one. And you invite a whole lot of people around for uh, a party. And when everyone's sitting there, you realise there's 20 of you. You two and 18 others. And you've got a huge anniversary cake, and it's the best cake you've ever seen. And you cut it into 20 pieces, one each, and you say to everybody, now, come and sit down, be in, have this beautiful cake. But no, you take 17 of those pieces and put them on your plates, you and your spouse. And you leave three pieces for the other 18 people to share. And you sit down and tuck in and you're eating to your heart's content while everyone else is fighting over three pieces. That's what 85% controlled by 10% looks like. And the other question, where do I fit? Where do I fit in the kingdom? I want to jump now to a passage in John chapter 6. I'm not going to read it, but I'll get Daniel just to 
put the uh, slides up and you can read it. And I'll just tell you the story. You know the story. Huge crowd goes out to listen to Jesus speak. And they haven't thought ahead about taking food. And suddenly they realize everyone's starving. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus sort of lands it back on the disciples. And they're going, oh, we're going to feed them. There's thousands. And a little boy comes and says, here's my lunch. Five small loaves and two sardines. And most of us would laugh. But Jesus takes it. Takes what this boy had to offer. And everyone is fed. And they, it's a miracle. It really is. They pick up basket loads of leftovers. So often we see other people in the kingdom doing great things. We look at the people up the front. We've got you know, pastors, worship leaders, missionaries. And we say, where do I fit? What, what's my part in God's kingdom? Or we see huge problems around the world. And we say, how can I make a difference? How does one person make a difference? This passage of the boy with the loaves and the fishes says to me, all we have to do is give what we have. And somehow God takes that and multiplies it. He comes with just his lunch, gives it to God. And when you do that, sit back and wait, because miracles will happen. And it really is true. Our job, where we fit, is to let the heart of God touch us and move us. And we just respond in love and obedience. Now I want to tell you a story. Kathy's that water there, please. We've been involved for years with the Hibiscus Coast Presbyterian Church, which, which meets in Centreway Road, just around here. It's a tiny little church. It's about 60 regular church attendees. They're old. Kathy and I were two of the youngest people in the, in the church, and I'm not kidding, all right? Um... The median age would now be in the 80s. So they're, they're old, they've got no money, they're, they're on pensions, they're totally struggling to pay their bills. But the elders believed that God was calling them to look outward. And they're going, we can't even afford to pay our minister, you know, how we, what do you mean look outward? But after a lot of prayer and heart searching, they believed they were to go into a mission partnership with the Presbyterian Church in Vanuatu, a poor nation in the Pacific. And it all began back 2012, 2013. We sent our first few people over. And this mission partnership was formed. And initially, the relationship with, was, was with a young woman's hostel. The young woman would come in from outlying islands and they had a Christian hostel to live in, somewhere safe, secure, while they 
trained and, and got work in the capital, Port Vila. The hostel was also used as a training centre, running all kinds of courses for people. And initially, the church, with their little bit of money they could save and raise, it was lovely. You'd go to sausage sizzles and there'd be 90-year-olds cooking up the sausages, raising money. They threw their heart into it. And they were able to buy materials for literacy courses that were run in outlying islands. And then in 2014, they managed to get enough to buy a suite of computers to replace these ancient ones that Noah threw out uh, for their computer courses that they were running. And I was lucky enough to be sent over as part of the team that installed that suite. People see Vanuatu as a picture-perfect paradise, and it is true. I took that photo um, actually about 15 months ago, but night after night after night you'd have different sunsets. It is truly beautiful, and yet there's real poverty. This next slide is of a series of houses in the wealthiest part of Vanuatu for the locals, and that's Port Vila. Many of them still live in thatched huts with dirt floors. This is the 21st century. But even more live in places like that. Go back one, go back one. That is a house. That's dirt floors, they're cooking over an open fire. The infant mortality rate in Vanuatu is 10 times that of New Zealand, 10 times. The life expectancy, it's something like 17 years shorter than New Zealand, and yet they're one of our near neighbours. And then Cyclone Pam hit. The next slide will show the results. This is March 2015, one of the strongest cyclones ever in the history of the Pacific and indeed of the world. Next photo. It just ripped through everything. 95% of buildings were either destroyed completely or damaged. Next one's of the waterfront, if you've ever been in the uh, waterfront of Port Vila. And the hostel. The hostel's dining room. Um, this is the dining room in the, the young woman's hostel that we had been putting the computers in. Thankfully, they put the computers into storage before the cyclone hit because the roof left. Would have kind of ruined them. This is the dining room and, and sort of the little lecture room for their training centre. And so there's a real challenge for us. And we, the church sent me over to see if we could help. And I did a scoping visit and realised it was going to be huge to rebuild this hostel, way beyond the resources of the Hibiscus Coast, tiny little church. And yet they're saying, we want to help. And so we prayed and we, we came back and we said, we'll give what we can, we'll do what we can. I should have mentioned one of the things we believed God was calling us to do was not just to form this mission partnership, but that we would be catalysts to get other churches in New Zealand involved with Vanuatu. 
Well, suddenly it started to happen. The Uniting Church in Australia went over there to see how they could help. They saw the damage to this hostel and they said, we've got all this money we've raised, we want to help. And the hostel says, we've got relationship with, with this church in New Zealand, um, if you can work through them. And so they rang me and said, we've got all this money, they trust you, we trust you, here's the money. Now this is not just a different church, unrelated to the Presbyterian Church in New Zealand, this is another country. And suddenly we had all the money we needed. And as we worked, we started asking for builders, and we ended up with a team with people from Northgate Baptist, Oriwa Baptist, the Presbyterian Church, uh, one guy from Whangarei, a, a Prezi church up there, Mairangi Bay, and we went over. And in one week, here's the next shot, is the starting to rebuild that um, dining room. We rebuilt the dining room, we re-roofed three-quarters of the building, and we completely reclad it all the way around the outside, and we put in a new kitchen in one week. From a tiny little church that, if at best, they could raise about 10000 a year. But because they went ahead and they did it, miracles happened. And since then, it has snowballed. Every year, we've taken a team of builders over there. And they keep saying, you know, we'd love this. We've built a couple of ablution blocks. There's so many places without schools. And gradually, schools are being built. But ablution blocks seem to be low on their priority. Because a lot of them who live in the bush don't have toilets. And their kids... If they want to go to the loo, they just go out in the bush. Put several hundred kids into a school. It changes the way you think about toilets. Because if they all just go out in the bush every day, what's it going to be like for the 100 metres around the school? Very, very quickly. And so the next shot is of a toilet we built, our team built, for a brand new school that's about 15 months ago. Um, and on top of it, um, we had a guy who was chaplain of St. Kennigan's School come over a couple of years running, and he got really inspired. He's gone back, sold it to the school, and he's now leading groups of between 40 and 60 each year over there who are working in schools. This has all come out of the obedience of a tiny little church. And there's now the team includes Baptist, Brethren, Vineyard, Nick Connell. I don't think Nick's here today. Nick from here and me. We go and Presbyterian. It's interdenominational, but it's making a difference. Have a look at this little guy. I took this photo just as we were finishing building that toilet block. He lives only about 100 metres from the school. Gosh, it challenged me, that passage, if you've done it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it for me. And I look at that little guy and I see Jesus. He's growing up in poverty, but you know he's got a school he can go to now 
that was built by, the school was built by another church in Auckland. And he's got clean toilets he can access. That's going to change his life and the life of hundreds. Next one, got two lovely, lovely guys. The one on the left, Ilda Tawara, the one on the right is Jonathan. Jonathan oversees all the church schools in the country, and they do a fantastic job. Ilda Tawara lives in a really remote valley where these kids have never had access to schooling, ever. For 22 years, this beautiful old saint has been praying for a school. Well, the Sunday before I took that photo, the school was opened. Over behind Jonathan and, and uh, Tawara, those two buildings. The one on the left is a church that doubles as a kindergarten from Mondays to Fridays. There's 40 kids attending that every day. Started in October last year. And just behind Jonathan is the first block of the school. By this time next year, there'll be a two-story block built as well, and in two years' time, the school will be complete, and every child in the valley will be accommodated in that. 400 children will be getting schooling for the first time. Isn't that something? And they asked us, you're really good with ablution blocks, could you? We need an ablution block. Next slide is the temporary toilet. If Nick was here, I'd get him to tell you how bad that toilet is. I got that far away from it. I'm not zoomed in. And I tell you, I was not going closer. I was starting to retch. I took the photo and I hightailed it. So the kids have started using it and already the stink is out of this world. And what they want us to do is build a 12-stall toilet just in the middle of that photo. And that's big for us. But we're praying like crazy, and gosh, miracles have been happening. And in the last couple of months, a whole lot of money has come in. We still need about another 12,000, so please pray for us. But I come back to where do I fit? And I go back to Proverbs chapter 3. You'll know, many of you will know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Just lean on God. Ask for his heart and submit. And that's where we fit. It doesn't matter what we've got. It doesn't matter if, if the thing God prompts you with is overseas or your neighbor or your your family, or wherever it is. Just have a heart that's willing to give and to share. I think I've got time for one quick story. Next photo is of Enna Killen, Enny. She's the matron of the young woman's hostel. Uh, that's the old kitchen, got destroyed in the cyclone. Um, and I want to tell you about Annie. After I went over there after Cyclone Pam, I would ask people, what was it like when the cyclone hit? And without fail, the moment I asked that question, people would go quiet and they would shrink. Their shoulders would come in. 
and you'd see them going back in a place, and I realized they don't want to go there. They were terrified. And they would be lost for words. And this was, I'd ask men, I'd ask women, I'd ask children. That it hit in the middle of the night. And the ones in the hostel, all st- they talked about, it was like a hundred jet engines in your room. The noise was incessant. And even before the roof went, the rain inside a sealed building was horizontal. Inside, because it's finding every crack and just blowing straight through. Then the roof lifted off. The dining room, and it's dark, it's pitch black. The dining room blew apart. Then half of the remainder of the roof folded and lay over on top of the rest of it and spent the rest of the night banging. Wind speeds in excess of 320 kilometers an hour. Insane winds. We get worried when it hits 120. There were branches firing through the roof, straight into the house. The girls all ended up hiding. I've never managed to tell this without tears. Next photo is Annie's room. That was her bedroom. The girls ended up in the young woman, but they're sheltering in her room. The roof hadn't lifted off her part of the house yet. That's what the window looked like afterwards. Who's a Lord of the Rings fan? Okay. Those who... Those who've seen it, um, Gandalf having a fight with the Balrog. The Balrog's this huge beast under the earth, and, and it's terrifying, and he's standing on a little arch, stone arch bridge, and he says to this monster, stamps his staff on the ground and says, you shall not pass. Any faced that window for hours with her girls behind her and her arms outstretched and she just said, you shall not pass. And she prayed that night away. What guts, pure guts. The one part of that building that wasn't destroyed is her room. If you talk to those young women Every one of them, until they go to their grave, will say, God delivered me that night. There's no doubt. Their faith is huge. And it is so worth supporting them and encouraging them in their mission. Jesus said, next photo, For as much as you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So what's the heart of God? The poor, the oppressed, the broken, in whatever way we see them. God wants us 
to share what we have, to take our loaves and fishes, our lunch, be willing to share it. Where do I fit? Just listen and obey. Let's all stand and we'll just pray together. You might want to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Loving God, speak to our hearts, each one of us. Help us to see your heart, your heart for us, your heart for the world. And Lord, whatever we are facing, each one here, Help us to lean on you and just to surrender. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for calling us and loving us and healing us and challenging us. Lord, thank you that all we have to do is what we can do. And you take it and you change the world. And as we go forth into this week, Lord, help us to take these steps with you, trusting, leaning, obeying. In Jesus' name, amen.